Good morning, everyone. How are you? Well? <laughs> me too. Um, it's great to see you this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Esther. Um, I'm one of the key leaders here at church. I'm going to take my flip-flops off, just in case that disturbs anyone. Don't let that distract you. Um, yeah, my name's Esther. I'm one of the key leaders here at church. Um, and this morning we're starting um, a new series, which is going to be great. Um, so in the Bible, um, we have four books that are all about Jesus. Um, and they're written by four of Jesus' followers. And that is a literal description. Like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John literally followed Jesus wherever he went. And they wrote stuff down. They wrote down what they heard and saw, what other people heard and saw. And even the intimately personal bits that only Jesus could have shared with them. Um, And in Matthew's book, um, he lays out this epic preach that Jesus did. And it's usually called the Sermon on the Mount. And you can read it from chapter 5 onwards. But in chapter 6, we read about Jesus' teaching on prayer. And in amongst that, he gives us this model of how to pray. And it's a prayer that you might be familiar with. Um, And this is how it begins. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And sometimes um, we can become overly familiar with bits of the Bible we uh, yeah, overly familiar with bits of the Bible. Um, maybe we hear and we read bits quite a lot. And your kingdom come might be one of those bits. Um, but it's so important we don't lose the impact of these words of this prayer. Praying your kingdom come is a way of life that Jesus is inviting us to be a part of. So we're doing this series over the next few weeks called Kingdom Living. And we're going to be having a look at conversation, praying, justice, and community, all kind of under this kingdom kind of umbrella. It's going to be good. Get excited. Um, And this week, um, we're starting um, with Kingdom Snapshots. Uh, It's going to be a little bit of an overview, a bit of an introduction. um, And we're going to ask questions like, whose kingdom is this? Uh, What is it like? Why is it relevant for us? And we're going to pick up on a few snapshots from the book of Matthew um, that will challenge us on what kingdom living could mean and look like for us today. So we're going to get straight into Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 23. Um, The bits of the Bible that we read today, they should all appear on the screen, but do um, grab your own Bible if you've got one with you. Um, So this is Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Um, We'll read the rest of that in a minute. But if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible, you see, see that the kingdom is mentioned a lot. 126 times, apparently. I didn't do that counting. Someone else did. Um, But Jesus talks directly about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Um, He tells stories to try and explain what this kingdom is like. Um, And he tells people who are listening to him at the time that this kingdom is at hand. It's near. It's close. 
And in that first bit of verse 23 that we just read, Jesus is making it clear that this kingdom is good news. Like, that's, that's important. Write that down if you're writing stuff down. Keep it, keep it near the front of your heads. This is good news. And another important thing to keep in mind, this kingdom is a now thing. Jesus tells us that the kingdom he talks about is of God and of heaven. But by saying that, he's not like sticking a pin in its location, implying it's, it's somewhere up there or it's far off in the distance in space and time. When Jesus sent his disciples out in Matthew 10 to do what they'd seen him do, Jesus told them to tell people, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And this wasn't, this wasn't like a tease. It wasn't something to reel them in to get them to come back next week. It, like the kingdom of heaven really was near because Jesus was. And the great thing for us is that Easter weekend, the cross has happened. And that is why this kingdom is a now thing. So it's good news, it's a now thing. Keep those two things in your head and we'll come back to them in a bit. And well, let's go back to Matthew 4 and start to have a look at what this kingdom that Jesus keeps talking about, see what that looks like. So this is Matthew, 20, no, Matthew 4, 23 to 24. Jesus heals the sick. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him, him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, and the, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. So some things to pick out from Jesus in these two verses are, are that kingdom living, it's about words and action, and healing and restoration. So Jesus, he did the teaching. He did the proclaiming. He opened his mouth and words came out. He taught people and told people about all the good stuff of the kingdom. And as we'll see later, the tricky bits too. He did this in different places, using different methods. He spoke to any and all kinds of people. He opened his mouth and words came out and he went and that that second word is a big one like Jesus didn't find a synagogue he liked with his favorite rabbis who taught his favorite bits of the scriptures and stay there he didn't sit comfortably and wait for people to come to him like Jesus went he went he talked and he demonstrated what the kingdom was all about. And I think these verses are pretty clear that the, the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven looks like healing and restoration. Like actual, see it with your own eyes, feel it in your body, healing and restoration. At verse 24 says, news about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Which is great, isn't it? Obviously that's great. But, to be honest, it's not happening. 
Or that's what it feels like for me right now. Like in the last month or so, so I told someone I would pray for their bad back, which felt like a bold move because that they're not a Christian yet anyway. And I saw them a week later, and I expected to see something. I expected to hear something, but nothing had changed. And then I followed this up with someone. Um, I told someone else that I would pray for a miraculous healing in their foot, which again felt like a bold move, considering my previous bold move had spectacularly failed. Um, and I got in touch with them after uh, they'd seen the consultant again. I, I expected something. I expected that God was going to do something. And they'd seen the consultant, and they told me that the fracture in their foot had got bigger. And I'm not going to lie, that crushed me. Like, these are, these are people that I love and care about. This isn't just an amusing sermon illustration these are people that I love and don't know Jesus and I want them to know Jesus and I want them to be healed. And, yeah, there's nothing. And then last week, um, I got a call to ask if I could meet with someone to pray with them for healing. And I said yes, but I'm not going to lie, my heart sank. But here's the thing, like I believe that healing is 100% unquestionably a significant part and demonstration of us living out God's kingdom today. Thanks, Sue. Physical, emotional, spiritual, all kinds of healing and wholeness, that is a Jesus thing. And so therefore, as people who follow Jesus, it's an us thing too, right? That follows. Like, it's for us. It's for people around us, people who know Jesus, people who don't know Jesus. Like, healing and wholeness is kingdom living today. So, I want to encourage us all to take a deep breath and say yes when someone asks us to pray for them. Yes, Jean. And we've got to try to keep offering, get up and go, because that, this isn't all about us. Like, we get up and go because that's what Jesus did. We tell people, using our own stuttering and rarely eloquent words, that Jesus is good news. And we pray. We pray for healing, we pray for wholeness and restoration because we believe in a God who loves people unconditionally and he wants people to know that. He wants people to feel that, to know him. And this, this is what kingdom living looks like. It's about words and action. It's about healing and restoration. And we push on together because we believe in a God who chooses to use us, to work with us, to work through us, making us more like Jesus in our real lives today. It makes no logical sense, but Jesus doesn't often make logical sense, does he?
but he chooses to use us. The next, the next little kingdom snapshot that we're going to look at is from Matthew 18. So let's have a read of that. This is verses 1 to 4. Um, and it's this little bit, it's called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And this is what it says. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And, and, and he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's a good bit, isn't it? And I love how it starts with Jesus' closest followers asking a spectacularly daft question. I like it when they do that, because to be honest, it makes me feel better about myself, but you know. Um, Like his disciples, they've been following Jesus as he went. They've heard Jesus talk lots about the kingdom. They've seen him live it out, yet their follow-up question is, who is the greatest in this kingdom? Probably with an underlying, what do I need to do to be the greatest in that kingdom? Like his disciples, they've totally misunderstood the Jesus definition of what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven looks like here on earth. Like when you hear the word kingdom, like what do you, what do you picture in your head? Um, so I, I go to the Game of Thrones, which is weird because I've never actually watched it. Um, but I have this image of um, like kings and queens wearing crowns, lots of fur. I don't know why. Probably a bit of animal skin, um, and they're sat on thrones, probably waving a sword or two around. But basically, a kingdom is about status. It's exclusive. It's about exercising power, quite often in an oppressive way. And I think this is where Jesus' disciples have gone with this in their question. They've thought kingdom, and they've gone to status and power. So Jesus puts them straight. Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom he calls us to live out today, is countercultural and it's radically inclusive. And Jesus uses a child to make this point. Like at this time, children had no status, they had no power, they had uh, nothing to give and no influence in society. They were weak and dependent, so they were written off and intentionally put right at the bottom of the pack. And Jesus, here, he brings children and everyone else who has been put in that category center stage. And he tells us to put aside anything we thought we knew about what it means to be great. Everything we thought we knew about who is included and who isn't. And I think this is a really hard one for us still today. Like the culture that we live in holds up status and power as something that we all need to be aiming for or desiring at the very least. It holds up exclusivity as something that is good. 
And to be blunt, it's not just the culture around us. It's a part of church too. In history, we've seen Christians impose power, oppress, and exclude. And yeah, I think that's still happening today. Maybe a little more subtly, but it's there. But Jesus, Jesus calls us to live differently. And he calls us to go low. To let go of status. The desire to be great. The need for power. And not in a masochistic, unhealthily self-deprecating kind of way, but in a way that enables us to live freely and lightly. And as we do that, I think it releases the people around us to do the same. And it's so easy to say, isn't it? But I love that Jesus gets us. He knows what we're like. And in verse 3, Jesus points out that we're going to need to change. He says, unless you change. Like this way of kingdom living, it's not something that comes naturally to many or any of us. Like we, we need to change. And that's part of the everyday deal of following Jesus, isn't it? Like we don't, we don't stay the same. Sometimes we take one step forward and 20 steps back. But we're always changing. And Jesus is with us in that process. And with Jesus, change is so much more than just wishful thinking. Like it's possible and it's happening, whether we think we can see it or not. And Jesus tells his followers they need to become like children. And if he was talking to us today, no, like someone who... We, it's the country we live in, has given no status, no power, who we assume has nothing good to give our community. And as we've already thought and prayed about this morning, we have such a huge opportunity as Jesus followers, as church, as individuals, to live out something totally countercultural, to love people unconditionally to throw open our doors, to welcome, to show hospitality, to put aside our own baggage, our fears, and to be radically inclusive. Because this, this is what Jesus did. And the kingdom of God is radically, and sometimes to us, offensively inclusive. And this is what church has got to be like. A place where everyone is welcome. Like genuinely welcome. No matter what gender, nationality, employment status, race, age, sexuality, life experience, relationship status, whatever football team you support, kingdom living is radically inclusive. It's not necessarily comfortable, and it's most probably a bit messy, but this, this is what Jesus modeled, and this is what he asks us, this is what he asks church to be. Um, there's a guy called Chris Lane, and he's written this book called Ordinary Miracles, um, and he says, like a great trailer to a film, the church should show people what the kingdom of God looks like. 
maybe a little less polished, but you get the idea. Like a great trailer to a film, the church should show people what the kingdom of God looks like. And before we take on our third uh, snapshot from Matthew, let's take a little breather. Like I mentioned at the start, that for us, living the other side of the cross, it changes everything about this kingdom stuff. So I'm going to throw in a bonus bit from Matthew and a pretty epic quote from N.T. Wright. So here's the bit from Matthew. This is Matthew 27, uh, 50 to 51. And this is when Jesus is on the cross. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split. Um, and this, this is from N.T. Wright's book, uh, The Day the Revolution Began. The larger reality is that something has happened within the actual world of space, time, and matter, as a result of which everything is different. By six o'clock on the Friday evening Jesus died, something had changed and changed radically. Heaven and earth were brought together. This was not about inventing a new kind of religion. It had nothing to do with getting rid of the earthbound hopes of the ancient Jews and embracing a spiritual reality instead. It was far more revolutionary. It was about the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. When, when Jesus died, everything changed. Heaven being God's space and earth being our space were brought together. Like these spaces were made to overlap right from the beginning, right from creation. And when Jesus died, the curtain was ripped in two. Heaven and earth were brought together. And Jesus didn't die just so we could get to heaven. If we make that the point, like the reason we talk to people about Jesus, then we're shrinking the good news and we're missing a whole load of awesomeness for today. Like we, we, all of us here, we are quite simply and a little bit mind-blowingly called to be, made to be, image bearers. To be Jesus. And the reason this is possible is because of the cross. Heaven and earth together today. And it's not all perfect, of course. One day it will be. Um, at the moment, we're in between kind of people. Like we live in a bit of tension. But it's here. Jesus' kingdom is a today thing. And it's good news. And it's in the right here, right now. Are you with me? Thank you. So we'll, let's uh, go to our third and final kingdom snapshot from Matthew. Um, but actually, um, before, before we read that, I just want you to have a little think. Like, What is your favorite Bible verse? Think in your head. If that's too tricky, I'll let you have two. You can have more than one verse, you know. Get creative. Um, so have a think. Right, apparently, 
the most popular, most Googled, most turned into posters, fridge magnets, T-shirts, not, probably not T-shirts, screensavers, um, is this verse. It's Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It's a good one, isn't it? And um, I remember um, me and Ben Rice, yeah, if you get a shout out, um, when we were coming to the end of our year team that we did here, about 12 years ago, hard to imagine, I know. Um, so Stu made us do this little interview thing about the year that we'd had, and a part of that, we had to pick our favorite Bible verse. And I don't know if you remember this, Ben, but we both picked this Jeremiah verse. And I can't speak for Ben, but I've got a pretty good idea why I picked this as my favorite verse at the time. I had no idea what I was going to do in life. I was confused, clueless. And this verse was something for me to hang on to. It was something that it, it gave me hope. And it was great. And it is great. Um... But the reason I kind of, I'm getting us to have a little think about that is because I don't think that these next verses from Matthew have ever been top of my favorite Bible bits list. They certainly didn't appear on any uh, list that I found on the internet, which, as we know, is the source of all truth. Um, maybe these verses have made it onto your list, but um, let's, let's have a read. Uh, Matthew 16, uh, 24 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Yikes. Like following Jesus isn't all sunshine and rainbows. We don't suddenly turn into a Jesus replica who loves everyone, who experiences no harm, who sees miracles every other day and is prosperous in every sense of that word. Life is way messier and more complex than that even with Jesus, maybe especially with Jesus. Like following Jesus is costly and it's sacrificial. And this, this is what kingdom living looks like for us. Like life isn't about us, what we can get out of it, or sometimes what we want. If we choose to follow Jesus, we let go of a load of stuff and we pick up something cross-shaped. And I don't know, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. And it doesn't seem like a good verse to use to convince people to get on board with Jesus. But at the same time, I think it is. Because somehow, in amongst all that, in amongst the cost, the sacrifice, like this this is where we find ourselves, when we find life, when we throw it all at Jesus and say, here I am. 
And like, that's, that's it. Like, Jesus is it. Like, he makes this right. He makes this make sense, even when it doesn't. And this is a big challenge for us, but do you know what? I think this is the best challenge for us. And to finish, I guess the question that I want to throw out is simply this. Are we in? More than that, are we all in? And I've got one one more quote from N.T. Wright. And he says... The task may seem impossible, but that's what they said about the resurrection. And I don't know if N.T. Wright does emojis, but if he did, I think there might be a winky face one after that. Like, this might seem impossible, but Jesus is in the business of impossible. So, we get to take communion now, which is great. Um, because as we do it, as we take communion, we get to declare a load of this stuff we've been taking on this morning. As we share communion together, we say that Jesus is the boss, that he's taken on all of the bad stuff, sin and death, and he's beaten it. That his dying and coming back to life means a whole load of awesomeness for our future, but also our today's. And as we take communion today, maybe use it as an opportunity to say yes to kingdom of words and action, healing and restoration, to living counter-culturally and radically inclusively. And as we say yes to Jesus, he promises to work with us, to change us, to give us all his good stuff so we can represent him in the everyday bits of our lives. This, my friends, is kingdom living. I'm going to pray. Yeah, Jesus, thank you that you are in the business of the impossible. Yeah, thank you that as we um, we hear this stuff, and it's a huge it's a huge challenge to live out your kingdom here on earth today. That yeah, we can only do this with you. And thanks, yeah, that it's that way. Will you show us how to be a people of words and action? To be a people who pursue and see your healing and your restoration. And Father God, I pray that we as a church, we as this church, will live counterculturally that we will tell a different story, we will tell your story, that we will be radically inclusive. 
yeah, Father God, I pray that will not just be something that we say, but something that we do, that we are. And Jesus, thank you. Thank you for, yeah, going through the cross and all of that, doing that for us. Yes, so we can do this with you, so we can see heaven on earth today. Yeah, Holy Spirit, as we as we take communion, yeah, I'll pray that there will be that um, that sense of as we do it, we declare you, Jesus. Yeah, as we take take this bread and drink and the juice to remember you Jesus we pray we yeah cry out to you your kingdom come yeah your kingdom come Jesus amen yeah we're going to take communion now the bread and the juice will be um passed around uh Please do feel free to, yeah, just pass that on if it's not something that you're comfortable with. Um, But yeah, we're going to do that and we're going to worship together as well.